Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Perceptions by guest speaker Stu Miller. I was looking over my sermon folder. As I have a sermon folder, I preach in a lot of places and I've preached at the Rock more than I've preached any other church because this is my home church and I've preached 25 times here already, uh, would you believe? So uh, over the years, um, I don't preach all that often, but it adds up, doesn't it, when you've, when you've been here a while? And um, I was looking over what should I preach on and what have I already preached on and I, I thought of a joke that I wanted to tell you and because um, I thought Pastor Sean sometimes tells a joke so I'm going to tell you a joke and then the, a whole new sermon just blossomed out of this joke and I just got inspired and I started writing and so here's a, something I've never done before, uh, especially for you of course uh, <laughs> and um, it comes from this joke, it's about a prawn, I'm going to call this the prawn sermon. There's two prawns. They're cruising, you know, the, uh, the, down in the, 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 the coral reef and they're having a good time down there. But they're, they're very timid prawns because they get eaten by practically everything, right? And uh, there's two, two prawns. Their names are Derek and Christian. And so they're cruising around down the bottom there and they, and they were having a chat. They're saying, man, it's, it, we always have to hide all the time and whip from one coral reef you know, to another coral and something's going to eat us at any moment. And wouldn't it be great if we were bigger? Wouldn't it be awesome if we were, you know, king of the reef, like a shark? Oh, man, it would be good to be a shark, wouldn't it? They are the king. Of the, everyone's scared of the sharks. Like, nobody bothers you if you're a shark. And they're like, yeah, that'd be fantastic. Why do we have to be born prawns? My goodness. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, they're chatting like this. And then they, they see this cod swim along. And it's glowing. And it's sort of flashing. And they're thinking, that's strange. And so they tentatively came near and they saw this flashing cod and the cod said, what do you wish, little prawns? <laughs> and the prawns went, oh, I don't know. And, and, uh, and Derek said, I wish it was a shark. And poof, he turns into a shark. Now Christian freaks out, guns it away. He thinks, oh my goodness, takes off and hides in his house. And Derek's like, this is awesome. He's cruising around the reef. He's like, everyone saw the fish are swimming around, even the barracuda. They take off. Everyone's going away from him because he's king of the reef. He thinks this is awesome. And he's just, he's, he's loving it for a little while. And then he starts to get lonely. No one talks to him. Everyone's scared of him. They all take off. He says, I'm going to go and fre- visit my friend Christian. So he goes down to Christian's home and he knocks on the door. He says, Christian, Christian. And Christian goes, go away. You're a shark. He goes, no, 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 it's your friend Derek. Oh, I'm Derek. And he goes, you're going to eat me. You're a shark. He's thinking, oh, man, my best friend. I can't even be, you know, I can't even hang around with my best friend anymore. This, this isn't actually all that crash hot after all, being a shark. Anyway, he got lonelier and lonelier and more and more depressed until finally he saw the flashing cod again. And he raced over to the cod and the cod said, what shall I do for you, O oh great shark? And he said, I want to be a prawn. And poof, he became a prawn. And he was so excited about it, he raced back to his friend's place. He's knocking on the door. He says, he says, Christian, Christian, I'm here. It's Derek. And he goes, you're a shark. Go away. You'll eat me. And he says, no, 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 no. I found cod. I'm a prawn again, Christian. <laughs> I know it's bad, isn't it? It's a... I found cod. I'm a prawn again, Christian. Uh, Okay. So you can see how that inspired a whole sermon, can't you? 
Because I'm, I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking about perceptions. And I'm thinking about how Derek hadn't changed at all. He'd got this new body of a shark, right? And he's cruising around and he wants to be friends with his mate, you know, Christian. But Christian doesn't want anything to do with him because his perception of Derek has changed. He thinks that Derek's about to eat him. Now, Derek wasn't about to eat him. He was a nice shark. <laughs> he was his friend. He was his mate. But because the outer, you know, had changed, he had this new perception and he misunderstood his friend. Now, I started thinking about, as prawn again Christians like we are, <laughs> how we're misunderstood by the world. And I sort of think when, you know, as far as evangelism goes and reaching our family and friends, you knew that evangelism was going to come up sometime in this talk, didn't you? But it's actually not a talk about evangelism this morning. But uh, when we are sharing our faith, those perceptions come into play. How people view the church, how people view Christianity can be a stumbling block for people coming to faith. Because perceptions actually do matter. If you're an artist and you learn how to draw, perception is everything. You've got to have everything right in perception, don't you? If you're a, a, a photographer, perception. If you can capture that in a shot, it's a beautiful shot, isn't it? If you're a business, who recognizes this symbol? What is it? Nike. Everyone know. I didn't even need to put the name up there for you to know that that's Nike, right? You just see the symbol and you know... That's Nike. I know that brand. And some of you might have thought something else. Just do it. See, I don't even need to say. Just do it. You've got that in your brain. Why? Because Nike brands itself well. Now, if you watch a Nike ad on TV, you know, you've got some, it's incredible, you know, cinematography and some athlete, you know, who's ripped and, and goes out for a run and he's pounding the pavement and there's some really inspirational words. And then just at the end, you think, what is this ad about? And then at the end, it goes... Just do it. Nike. And I'm thinking, what are they selling? Because most ads are like, come now, buy this. Rugs a million. Half price. 20% off. You know, I mean, most ads are, you know, about selling a product, aren't they? Not Nike. Nike aren't about selling a product. They've got hundreds of products. They've got, you know, urban wear and they've got shoes and they've got, you know, uh, you know, exercise wear and all this different stuff that Nike sells. They've got a whole lot of branded stuff. But when they do their ads, they don't, they're not selling shoes. They're selling image. They're selling a brand, aren't they? And so when you see and go into the store and you're looking at a bunch of shoes and you see, oh, Nike, they must be good. Why? Because you've got in your mind this brand. Now, unfortunately, with the church, brand advertising for us is not so good. Partly because we're disintegrated into a whole lot of different denominations. And not one of us are, you know, sort of flying the flag. And we don't c combine our funds to put nationwide ads on TV. The church, just get there. You know, like, <laughs> we're, we're, you know, no denomination's doing it because they, they don't want to represent the church. They want to represent their own church, their own denomination. If there's an ad on TV, it's to do with, you know, if it's Hillsong, it'll be... Hillsong logo on it. You know what I mean? Like we've all got our own logos and we, we want to promote our church. And if we're going to put the money into it, we want people to come to our church, not someone else, rather than the kingdom of God. You know, We're not actually combining the funds. You know what I mean? It would be great if we could actually get a better image because I think we've got quite a poor image. Now, I'm out on the streets 
sharing the gospel. Is Anton here this morning? He's coming out with us on Wednesday. You can pray for us. We're going out to South Bank. He's going to experience what it's like out with uh, the G7. If you haven't got the G7, get it on your phone. Little shameless plug uh, uh, for sharing the gospel. If you're new here and you don't know what the G7 is, it's an app for sharing the gospel. And you can put it on your phone. You just go to the app store and type in G7 and you can get it. It's a, it's a great way of communicating the gospel. But when we're out there sharing the gospel, we often get people saying things and there's negative attitudes towards the church. I mean, if there was a really positive attitude towards the church, couldn't we just talk with anyone about our faith? So what are these barriers that stop or make it negative or make it harder for us in our society to, to do it? So I thought we'd explore that for a minute because perception is key. How are we viewed by the world? How do you think the world views us? I mean, we're in the middle of religious discrimination debate and, and, and uh, regulations and everything being formed at the moment. Some people are saying, oh, you church people, you just want to be able to have the right to discriminate against people and you're using your religion as an excuse. Is that the way they perceive us? Yeah, some people they do. How is their perception? Here's a question for you. Should we care how they perceive us? Some people might go, Ah, no, we serve God, not man. You know, fear God, not man. We're in the world, but not of it. We don't care. There are some Christians that are like that. But I sort of think if we are going to reach our community for Christ and their perception of the church or Christianity is bad, they're not going to look at our product. With Nike, they know they're not selling their product. They don't have to sell it. It sells itself. (laughs) We've got a product. It's the gospel. Eternal life. It's a fantastic product. It's changed our lives, hasn't it? It's good news. We've got a fantastic product, but sometimes people don't get near it because they've got this barrier that they don't like the brand. And maybe we need to get over some of those barriers. And how are we going to do that? I think each and every one of us have got networks, oikoses, we've got workmates, family, friends, people we know, where we could have a conversation with about some of these things. We could ask a question. How do you perceive the church? What, what's your impression of Christianity? When, you, when, you, when I say Christianity, what, do you, what comes to your mind? And have a chat about some of these things. I'm going to talk about some today. Now, I got so inspired, I've got 52 slides here this morning. So we will be done by uh, 3 o'clock this afternoon, I guarantee it. No, but uh, we're just going to actually go until this gets close to 11 o'clock and then I'm going to wrap up. So don't worry, we won't be going all day. But I'm pretty sure there'll be a part two, uh, if you want me. All right. <laughs> so... With each of these perceptions, I'm going to ask the question, how, why, and how? First question is, well, how are we perceived by the world in this area? Why are we perceived like that? Right? We're going to actually have a good look. Now, I think there's three main reasons that will come through as to why we have perceptions, negative perceptions by the world. Number one, it's because we're at fault. That's one reason. You know, we've actually done, haven't done a good job of marketing ourselves or, or communicating, Number two, I think sometimes we challenge the world because we have standards that we live by and, and standards that we promote in our society, and that rocks people up because they want to do what they want to do. And it's actually a reaction. It's a negativity pushed on us because they don't want to actually submit to God. That's one reason. And the other third reason is I think people have just misunderstood. And I think we can actually change some of those perceptions if we're prepared to sit down and have a, a, a conversation without feeling insecure. You know, I think it's great if people ask questions. Oh, you, you, you blah, 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 blah. It's, oh, that's an opening for the gospel because if that's something that someone has got, you might be able to actually hey, hey, let's have a conversation about that. Why do you feel that way? Let's talk about it. 
And if you're secure enough to be able to talk, talk it through with the person, maybe they'll come out of that conversation with a better understanding and more positive and say, actually, I might have a look at this product. Does that make sense? Okay. <clears throat> to give you an overview before we go into this, though, Acts 20.24, 20, this is Paul writing. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So I think we need to keep that in mind when we're, when we're talking about some of these things, that Paul here, when he's writing, now, you know how Paul, like the Nike, you know, he's always using sports illustrations. Did you notice that? He talks about running the race and keeping your eye on the prize and the goal and you know, uh, being disciplined and, you know, and not being like a bo- boxer, just beating at the air, but running the race with diligence and perseverance. You know, he uses all these, all the way through the epistles, he's using these. And, but he never describes actually what that race is. You sort of think, well, what's this race that you're running? The only time that I know of in the scriptures is in Acts 20.24. What is the race that Paul's talking about? He says, to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. And then he defines it. What is it? The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace or the good news of God's grace. Now, I want to bring you to the start of that verse in light of that. The beginning of it, he says, however... There's always something important after a however, isn't there? <laughs> I consider my life worth what? Nothing to me. If only my only aim is to finish the race. He's saying, if I were to come to you and say, Terry, I'm going to tell you about something I'm doing. And Terry, if I don't do this, I'm going to consider my life an absolute waste of time. Like it's worth nothing. Like if I do not do this, I've missed the boat completely and my life's worth nothing. If I started off a sentence like that to you, you'd be like, what are you going to do? That's pretty important. This is how Paul starts it. He says his life is worth nothing to him if he doesn't complete this race. And what's the race? Testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And that's what Paul did. He didn't just talk about it. He did it. He went from city to city to city, to Ephesus, to Corinth, to all these places that we've got epistles from. He went there and he preached the gospel and he made disciples, started churches, went out to the next one. The call hasn't changed in 2,000 years. We're still called to preach the gospel, make disciples, start churches, go to other people who haven't heard, right? And in light of that, in our society, in our community, how can we break down some of those barriers? So remember that context as we're going through. Okay, here's the first one that I'm going to bring. You think that you're holier than thou. I've heard that a few times myself. What about you? Anyone heard that before? There's lots of nods going on. So we're going to start with this one. You think that you're holier than thou. Now, that's an interesting one because it's actually the complete opposite of what people think. Why? Because Christians are ones that know that we've sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The very reason that we are a Christian is because we've acknowledged that we're sinners We've broken God's laws. We've stuffed it. We don't deserve to get into heaven. And only through Jesus Christ can we get there. We're in effect saying we're not holier than thou. We're the opposite of holier than thou. We're sinners that need to be saved through Jesus Christ. So remember, we're going to ask the why, how, why. Why do people get that impression then? I think it could be because some of us are arrogant or act as if we're better than other people. It could be because 
people see our lives and see that we live to a different moral code and they are challenged by that and so they oh, we are all holier than thou. And it's actually just an insult and it's nothing to do with anything you've done. It's not your fault at all. Or they could just misunderstand what the Christian faith's all about. And then when we preach the gospel, of course, that gets sorted out. I had a friend of mine um, who told me about a, a, a work of a conference he went to. Uh, he's an accountant, and he was there with a bunch of accountants and um, all of his friends at work. And all the guys uh, said, oh, we're going out for a drink. Do you want to come with us? And he said, yeah, sure. He'd, he'd go out and he'd have, a, have one drink. You know, he's Christian. He wasn't getting sloshed or anything like that. But then afterwards, it got a little bit more serious because they said, oh, we're all heading down to uh, the local brothel now. And he's like, okay, hey, you'll come along with us. And he's, he's, he was with them. He, he, had a, he didn't have a ride. Like he went with them, but he's like, I'm not going in there. He, he sat in the, the lounge and he waited for all of his friends. And they go, aren't you going to come in? Aren't you going to come in? It's fun. These are married men. And this sort of thing goes on. And, and those of you, in the, you know, who work with other people at work that aren't Christians know that this sort of thing goes on, unfortunately. But how is he supposed to react? He's, if he says no, no, I'm not going to do it, they all think, oh, yeah, you're, the, you're a Christian, aren't you? You're holier than thou. But what's he supposed to do? Oh, I don't want to give that impression. Oh, well, I'll just go and commit adultery. Of course he's not. He's got to say no. And if they say why, what is he going to say? Well, I believe that God doesn't want me to do this, that it's morally wrong. I don't want to be unfaithful to my wife. Oh, you're holier than thou. Well, yeah, he is. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with living life how God wants us to live. And we should make no apology for it. right? And if people are going to say, you're holier than thou, well, let them say it. But let's make sure that we're humble. And the reason that they're not saying it is because we're, you know, like Deuteronomy 17 and Romans 11 tells us not to consider ourselves greater than we are. If we walk in humility... And we're not trying to put people down. And I don't think it's actually right to judge non-Christians because they don't live by the same standards as us. If a Christian was doing that, I would have some words to say. But a non-Christian, well, what hope have I got of them doing anything else? They don't have the same standards as me. And why should I judge them for not? When I preach the gospel, the gospel will convict them. But when I share the gospel with someone and I'm talking about sin, I'm saying, well, I've done this. Have you? It's we have done this. This is what God says about it. It's not I'm judging you for what you've done. And I think in evangelism, that's the way we've come across in the past, that I'm holier than thou, you're a dirty, rotten sinner, and let me tell you how you need to be saved. Rather than saying, you know what? We've all done this, and we all need Jesus to forgive us, to save us. See the difference? Difference in the way that it comes across? I think it's important. Romans 5, 8, this is my favorite scripture in the whole Bible. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. He doesn't just talk about it. He demonstrates his love. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are sinners saved by grace. We're one beggar showing another beggar how to get food. We're not holier than anyone else, right? Not in ourselves, but only through Jesus Christ who gives us his perfect record. Amen? And if you this morning, I don't know where you're at, but if you haven't, Receive Jesus. Deb Klein talked about it this morning. Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. If you haven't invited Jesus into your life, if you haven't received him as your personal friend and, and the boss of your life, if you haven't surrendered over to him, come and have a talk with someone this morning. There's plenty of people here who would love to talk with you more about it, and we can pray with you because it's the best decision you'll ever make.
when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, we receive forgiveness and eternal life through him. And that's an amazing thing. And that's why this message is so, so incredible. God's love for us is incredible. Here's a question, though. Let's be honest. Are we really more holy than the world? We've just been saying how we're not holier than the world, but are we? I hope so. (laughs) I actually hope so. Because even though at the point of conversion, we're not saved by our own works or anything that we've done or any great thing or a great person that I am, it's solely because of Jesus dying on the cross for me that I'm saved. I'm saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it's by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourself. It is a, a gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. We're not saved for him anything great that, that, that we've done, but only through what Jesus has done. But verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared before the beginning of time to be our usual way of life. And that leads on from the scripture that Deb read earlier in Ephesians, Right? about God preparing the way. So we aren't saved by works, but we are saved for works. So our lives should be working out what God's given us to do. Our lives should be changed day by day. If you're a drug dealer and you're cheating on your wife and you become a Christian, you don't go, oh, well, I'm saved by grace through faith. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not about my works and I'm not holier than thou. I'm just going to carry on my lifestyle. I'd say you're not saved. Repentance is the gateway to salvation. There's got to be a commitment to turn away. Does that mean we become perfect? Oh, I wish. You know, I said this prayer yesterday. I said, um, Lord, I said, so far today, I haven't lied. I haven't cheated. I haven't stolen. I haven't hated. You know, I haven't lusted after anyone. I haven't, you know, I haven't, I haven't been selfish. But Lord, I'm about to get out of bed. It's going to get a lot harder. So I'm going to need your help. But isn't that the reality of our day-to-day lives? We're striving to live by what God's asked us to do. We're never perfect, you know, but through God, He changes our lives little by little. And I hope that my life is different than it was a year ago or two years or five years or ten years ago because I'm in the process of sanctification and God's changing me day by day. I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling. Amen? So are we more holy? I would say yes. And we should be. And every year we should be becoming more and more holy. Not that we would lord it over everyone in our society and say, look how great and holy we are. But we work on it privately, the Lord working in our hearts. And we freely and humbly say to the people in the world, I struggle with sin like everyone else. And I need saving too. And that's the spirit that we think we need to come. But we should be more holy. Here's a great scripture from Hebrews 10, 14. For by one sacrifice, he was made perfect forever for those who are being made holy. So we're made perfect at the point of conversion, but we're in the process of being made holy. So we are holy and blameless in the sight, the Bible says, right? But we're also being made holy. And how does that work? We're saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. It's a little bit confusing, but at that point of conversion, we receive holiness, receive perfection through Jesus Christ. When God looks at us, we're without blemish. We're perfect in his eyes. And yet, on a day-to-day basis, God helps us to change our lives, to start living in line with the way that he sees us. Does that make sense? All right, here's another great scripture. Getting some good scriptures here. 2 Corinthians 5.20. 
Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So again, let's keep that in mind when we are in the world that we represent Christ. So our lives should reflect that. When I hear a non-Christian say to me, and I hear this, oh, I knew a guy who's a Christian and he ripped me off. Oh, I knew a guy who's a Christian and he did this or he did that or she did this or she did that. And it breaks my heart to see that there's a barrier now for them coming to Christ because they think, oh, you Christians, look at what you do. See what I mean? We should be living a holy life. We're ambassadors. We should represent Jesus well. Now, that's not to say we're going to be perfect because I certainly aren't and you aren't either. (laughs) But we should be uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit doing our best to live our lives as as the best ambassadors that we can be. Well, that's the next one, and I've already touched on it. The church is full of hypocrites. Who's heard that one? Anyone? It's sort of similar to the first one, but it's actually quite different. First one is, you know, we think we're great. This one is saying, you think you're great, but you're really not. (laughs) And normally that's because of an experience someone has had. So let's ask the why. Why is is it people in the church perceived that way? Why is the church perceived as a place full of hypocrites? We've got things like priest pedophilia all over the news. We've got, uh, you know, people defrauding that are Christians, you know, charitable organizations and churches. We've got all sorts of things that have happened and are public knowledge, and they bring shame to every Christian, and they bring shame to Jesus. And it gives this impression that the church is full of hypocrites. Now, when people say this to me, this is how I respond. I say, well, a hypocrite by definition is somebody whose actions don't always line up with their words. Correct? And they say, yeah, that's exactly right. You know, you guys say this stuff, but then you don't do it. I say, do you know anyone whose actions always line up with their words? Do your actions always line up with, their word, with your words? And I've never had anyone say yes. They always go, oh, No. Say, well, that would make you a hypocrite. Do you know what? We need some more hypocrites at church. You should come along. (laughs) Because clearly the church is not full of hypocrites because you're not there. (laughs) I don't quite say that. But (laughs) if we want to make it full, we need some more people. Because really, all of us are hypocritical to some degree. And it's only through Christ that at least we're working on it in the church. Does that make sense? At least we're trying our best with God's help to to change our lives and to work that out. The people in the world aren't. They just whinge about us. So it's good to actually have a conversation about this and talk about, well, what is a hypocrite? What does this mean? Here's a scripture for you. Romans chapter 14, 11 and 12. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. And when people talk about the priests or the the, terrible thing that happened to them, that a Christian did to them, I say, you know what? That person will stand before God and give an account of themselves before God. They're going to have to stand alone before God and account for their life. My question for you is, when you stand before God and account for your life, are you going to be perfect before God? If you're not, then like me, you need Jesus. And that there, the church is full of hypocrites, is a huge launching pad into the gospel. 
It's a great way to start off and then to turn it around on them and say, where are you at? If you were to stand before God would you, and be judged, where would you be at? And then you can talk, talk to them about the gospel message. You whip out your G7, of course, and take them through the G7. Describes it beautifully. Okay, number three. We're only up to number three. It's all right. Are you, are you getting something from this? Yes. Is this helpful? Hopefully this, this will helpful in, in having a spiritual conversation. What about this one? Christian, Christians hate gays. Who's ever heard that before? This is a big one today. A big one. Now, going back 10 years, 15 years, when I was out on the street or talking with people, this just never came up. It just wasn't an issue. But it's massive in our society. Transgenderism, homosexuality, all these things are huge on on the media's radar, and they're getting unprecedented coverage, right? And, uh, and, and, And the church is not painted well. Not painted well at well. I watched an interview with a Christian who was interviewed about this and about their church's stance on it. And this Christian, I know him personally. He was gracious. He was loving. He explained it really clearly and articulated it really well. I was thinking, oh, that's, that's so well done. Then I watched the news that night. And in the news studio was a homosexual sitting with the person, the, the media reporter, and then they painted this terrible picture of this church before they started the interview. So you already had a perception, <laughs> a bad perception about this person. And then he came on as if he was on live, which he wasn't. And then he had this sort of conversation and they had cut it and edited it in such a way that it looked dreadful. And it looked like he was a hater and a bigot. I was thinking, oh my goodness, that is not what happened. I was there, I saw that interview. Sometimes our perception is not our fault. Sometimes it is. We've got to be careful in the way that we are perceived because we do not hate gays. I've got a cousin who's a homosexual. He's actually bisexual. And he comes around for dinner and we have some great chats. And, um, and I talked to him one time about homosexuality. And I said, you know, because he was talking about young people. And he said, oh, are you getting young people along to your churches? And it just seems that it's, you know, churches are dying out these days. And I said, no, no, there's, there's lots of young people going to church these days. Really? I said, well, it's, it's difficult with young people because it's one of the issues that they're finding is, is they're told all the time by the media that, that Christians hate gays. And they, it's hard to reconcile that. They go, what? These people are haters. And he goes, well... Well, some people give that impression. He's like, you, you don't actually do it. This is what he said to me. You don't actually do a good job of portraying something else. That was his perception. Now, he knows me as a Christian, and so hopefully he's got a very different perception. But I think he was struggling. He's going, well, I know you love me. I come around for dinner here, but also you're a Christian, and don't Christians hate gays? So he's sort of trying to toss this up, you know. What's going on here? I don't actually understand it myself. And he says, well, you don't really give the impression elsewhere. I said, and I explained to him that story that I just told you about um, my Christian friend who was interviewed. And, uh, and, he, um, and I said, you know what? We, we are targeted as people who don't. But I, said, I travel around churches all the time, and it is not the case. We love everyone. Everyone is welcome to our church but it doesn't mean that we agree with everyone's lifestyle. And I said, one of the problems is that there's this narrative that is pushed into our society that if you have to agree with me and agree with my lifestyle and even celebrate my lifestyle, otherwise you hate me. You're a hater. And there is a militant 
push for it in our society. I've got a friend who's an accountant. He, runs, he's, he owns his own firm with partners. And he was put under pressure by the LBGT community who sends these letters to businesses saying, you know, on Friday we've got this, you know, celebrate HD, you know, LGBTQI plus day. And you all got to wear a purple tie or a rainbow tie or whatever. And he's like, I'm a Christian. I don't agree with a homosexual lifestyle. How, how, what do I have to do here? Do you know what he did? He stayed home. He didn't write to them and say, no, we're not going to do this. Because if he did they would target his business, put on social media that they're homophobes, that they're homosexuals and blah, 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 right? But what, what if every group rang up a business every week and said, you have to celebrate us this week? We're talking about a minority group. What if we're about our Christians? Why don't we ring through all the businesses and say, Christianity is a big part of this nation. I think for 50, you know, 26 of the, uh, weeks of the year, you have to have a Christian day and wear crosses. We don't do that. It's the only group that's doing it, and they're putting pressure, and they will punish you if you don't. So here, he owns his own business, and he has to stay home from work. You know what I mean? So he's under pressure. So we aren't under immense pressure, but how are we communicating is my question. Are we doing a good job of communicating, or are we just coming across as gay haters? Here's a scripture for us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. You probably haven't heard this one before. It's a, a, quite an obscure scripture. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loves everyone in the world. Black, white, male, female, homosexual, heterosexual, doesn't matter what we are, God loves every single person in the human, you know, who's a human being. Does that mean he agrees with our lifestyles? No, we've already had scriptures before about how all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God says that every one of us are sinners. So if God doesn't agree with our lifestyle and yet he says he loves us, that doesn't make sense because you have to agree with me, God, otherwise you hate me. Well, that's the narrative of today, but it is a lie. None of us would completely agree with each other's lifestyles, even within the church. We disagree on certain things. Doesn't mean we don't love one another. We can dis- I disagree with my wife on things. Does that mean I don't love my wife? See, it doesn't. If you think, talk about it with people, suddenly it becomes clear. Oh, actually, you could have a different perspective. You could see this from a different perspective, but still love. Isn't that true? And I honestly think we've got to be better at our communication. I know we've got media wrongly reporting us and all those factors, but we've got to be better at the way that we communicate. And I think we've got to engage in the conversation because sometimes we just stay home to avoid it. Do you know what I'm saying? Rather than actually engage with a conversation with someone and say, let's talk about it. How do you feel about the church? And when they bring up things like this, they say, hey, you know what? That's not my experience. I find I go to the Rock Christian Church. I can't speak for every Christian, but you know, we, we love everyone. Everybody matters at our church. You know what I mean? A communication can make a world of difference to someone's perception of Christianity. And then maybe they're open to hearing the gospel and seeing, seeing this. Okay, have we got time for one more? Sure. Okay. There's a perception that we hate each other. We're fragmented into all these different denominations and we all disagree with each other and we're at war with each other. And it doesn't help when on the media sometimes there's an issue and we've got some people in the church saying one thing and some people saying the other thing. Oh, But there's an impression 
that we can't even get along ourselves. Romans 14.5 says, One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. In verse 6 it says, And one person celebrates a day as sacred, and he does so to the Lord. One person eats, and he does so, and gives God thanks, and does so to the Lord. Someone doesn't eat. Talking about you know, whether you can eat meat from idols or not in the context of that scripture. And he says, And they do not do so and give thanks to the Lord. In other words, whatever we do, we've got to do it with integrity. We've got to believe what we believe and do what we believe God wants us to do and give thanks to God. Now, there's going to be disagreement. There was in the early church, and there certainly is in the church today. It's not the disagreement. It is how we disagree. (laughs) Can we, you know, we, we used to be at this SDA church, didn't we? Before we came here, they celebrate on Saturday. We celebrate on Sunday. But do we, you know, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Let them fully be convinced in their own mind. But again, it's a perception that people have. When people say to this, oh, why do you have so many different denominations? Do you know what my response to that is? I say, well, why is there so many car sales yards? Why is there so many different types of car? Why don't we just have one car that gets you from A to B? Why is there so many different languages? It would be really boring (laughs) if there was one type of car. Different people have got different needs. Different people have got different uh, wants, what they prefer. Now, some people come to church and they like a more solemn service. Don't come to the rock. (laughs) Right? But they like a solemn service with a pipe organ singing hymns. And it's a very reverent style of a service. And they worship God in that way. I'm not going to knock that. If they're sincere in their belief and they're worshipping God, that's fantastic. Personally, I like drums and guitars and loud music and raising my hands and worshipping God. That's okay too. We're all different as human beings and there's lots of different denominations. Now, obviously, there's differences in theology as well. But to be honest, most churches you go to, you wouldn't even know what the historic documents of that church say. You're just like, how good's the worship? What's the preaching like? You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? You go back 20, 30 years ago, and if you were an Anglican, you were an Anglican, and that was all there was to it. You're not changing. And it meant a lot more to people. And I think it's a great thing today that it doesn't mean so much, that we can go to different churches and worship God because we're all the body of Christ. And I love explaining that to non-Christians because they sort of think, they've got this impression, you hate each other. You're all at war with each other. You're all split up and fragmented. And I go, no, 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 no. We actually get together with other people from other churches and we have worship services and combined meetings and, and we have you know, combined pastors' prayer meetings in the city and we get all these, what? But you're all different churches. Yeah, but we all believe the same thing about Jesus and the gospel. You ought to have explained to you on the G7 because I've normally just gone through the G7 with it. So this is the message. And I say, I actually work... I've worked with over 100 different denominations right across the, the spectrum using this tool, teaching people how to use this tool. And the reason I can go into 100 different denominations is because we all believe the same thing. We're Christians. Sure, there's differences in, in a whole lot of different areas, but fundamentally we believe the same thing. And when a person understands that, they're like, oh, okay. And it removes a barrier and they become more open to the message. Cool? Cool. Had enough for today? I know, you want more, don't you? (laughs) We're going to have to have a part two. Have I actually finished this one? Yes, I have. All right, well, there's the the next one, number five. It's coming up. 
Christians are simpletons. You're going to enjoy that one. And anti-science. We'll talk about that another day. But hopefully today's been a little bit of a, an equipping session and uh, helping us to understand the perceptions of how the world sees us. And it's fascinating to do that. And I know, I mean, I've been a full-time evangelist for 26 years, so I, I get this all the time. And I get to understand how non-church people think. And sometimes as Christians, maybe we're not aware of some of these things. And we need to have a conversation. And I'd encourage you just to ask questions. You don't even need to say anything. Hey, how do you view the church? What's your perception? Hey, we had a, on Sunday, this guy gave us a sermon about people's perception of the, of the church. I'd really, really be interested to know what your thoughts are. Do you know, people like to know, you know, people to ask them their thoughts. They like to actually express. And don't, don't get uptight. Don't go de- defensive. Just be secure. You know who you are in Christ. And just relax. If they say things, you go, yeah, that's interesting. And you know what? Sometimes we've got to put up our hand and be responsible and say, you know what? Actually, we're partly to blame for that. We haven't communicated very well in that area. But you know what? It's actually not the case. This is what I find. And then you share. Do you reckon you can do that? And then whip out your G7. Oh, of course. Sorry. All right, let me pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity we have of impacting people's lives around us for all of eternity. I thank you, Lord, that you've called us as ambassadors to represent you in the world, to be able to share your glorious gospel that is the, 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 the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Thank you that we're part of your rescue plan to, to seeing people come to heaven, to being in a relationship with you. Lord, we want to be more involved in that. But Lord, it's sometimes really difficult when we come up against things, perceptions that are wrong. And I pray that you'd just lead us by your Holy Spirit. Help us to be relaxed, to be able to uh, ask the questions and engage the conversation that we need to have that might be instrumental in removing those barriers and people coming to know you. We pray, Father, for your blessing on every single person here. Give us courage, give us boldness to be able to share you with those around us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.